I'm Nick Harcourt and welcome to another episode of The Sound of Success, the podcast where we talk with movers, shakers and just plain cool people about music. Joining us today is composer, producer and performer Jean-Michel Jean. Jean-Michel is a pioneer in electronic and ambient music as well as massive outdoor spectacles featuring his music along with incredible laser displays, large projections, even fireworks. His 1976 album, Oxygen, recorded in a home studio on analog synthesizers, and its 1978 follow-up, Equinox, heralded the arrival of an international star. And in 1979, Jean-Michel performed to more than a million people at the Place de la Concorde in Paris. That concert laid down a blueprint for his future performances around the world. Several of his albums have been released to coincide with large-scale outdoor events. He was the first Western musician officially invited to perform in the People's Republic of China, and he saw in the new millennium performing at the Pyramids of Giza. He holds the world record for the largest ever audience at an outdoor event for his Moscow concert in 1997, which was attended by three and a half million people. I gotta be honest with you, John michel it's tough to try to, if you'll excuse the word, synthesize your unbelievable career into a short intro. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Nick, and I think you did it quite, uh, quite efficiently so far. Okay, <laughs> so far so good. <laughs> you know, I've got a couple of questions before we get to the new album and we, before we get to our regular questionnaire. I know that you were classically trained on the piano. Can you tell us about your introduction to that instrument? It was um, uh, a painful one. Was my, my first teacher was uh, quite uh, sadic and uh, had the tendency to, to hit me, to hit my, uh, my hands. And then I, I really was totally traumatized when I was uh, six, seven years old, as, as much that I was, I was writing on the wall of my bedroom. I hate the piano to send a signal to my mom that uh, we should stop this uh, nightmare. So we, she understood what was going on. And then one year, one year later, I, I got a very nice teacher and everything was, was okay. But the, the first beginning was uh, uh, a bit hard. And, uh, but, but, you know, I mean, the, uh, I, I, of course, remember this with a kind of, uh, nice, sweet nostalgia, uh, with the idea that later on, I, I started to play in, uh, in, uh, local rock bands and, but the very, uh, important moment in my life was when my grandparent, my, my grandfather, uh, offered me a second hand tape recorder when I was 11 or 12 and, uh, second hand German tape recorder, so heavy and so big for my my, for the little one I was at the, at the moment, at that time. And, uh, and then I started to record everything in a rather obsessional way, uh, everything. And one day I played the, the tape backwards and, uh, I thought that aliens were talking to me. And from that moment, I, I started to, uh, process, to record my guitar or organ and to, to play the, the tape backwards and to, uh, to, uh, change the speed. And I had no idea that uh, what I was doing in the, like a game would become uh, a kind of grammar for the mu for, for electronic music later on. I know when you began experimenting with tape loops and radios and other electronic devices, as you said, all of a sudden you're introducing yourself to new sounds. What about the Moog synthesizer and your introduction to that instrument? Actually, it's, it started at, at a quite early stage when I was experimenting uh, in the Music Research Center in Paris, linked to the French ra national radio, the equivalent of the, of the BBC, the French BBC. And when we were actually stealing oscillators and filters, filter banks from the radio station made for 
tuning the receptors and and the and and the broadcast station, uh, not made at all for for music. But then that was the first kind of synthesizers. Do it, do it yourself, kind of do it ourselves, kind of where we 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 took some bags of oscillators and filters and trying to create the first electronic sounds. And what was quite an interesting sign of the fact that electronic music has always been linked with hijacking technology. And uh, the fact that uh, uh, using, and like Moog did, like uh, taking some uh, oscillators and filters to do something else in a, in a rather uh, unexpected way and uh, in, a, in, a, in a rather oxymoron way. I mean, as we know, oxymoron is the idea of uh, putting two elements together, which have nothing to do with each other, to create something unexpected. And in a sense, the Moog is is a kind of uh, epitome of of, uh, of oxymoron. The fact that putting filters and oscillators and 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 very uh, electronic devices to create what to create music. Now, I've been a fan of yours for a long time, but I didn't meet you until about five or six years ago when you were releasing Electronica One, The Time Machine, which was uh, your 17th studio album, which featured a whole bunch of amazing collaborations. It was followed by a volume two. And we also spoke again, I think, in 2018, as you were preparing for a massive show in uh, Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, in the fall of 2018. Of course, the COVID pandemic stopped the live music business for almost two years. But ever the innovator, you performed a virtual show on New Year's Eve 2021 from your studio. Studio, uh, through Notre Dame. Can you speak about that time, your time during the pandemic and why that concert was so important to you? Actually, I've always been interested by, uh, by VR, by, by virtual world. You know, Nick, the, uh, the first VR object is a book. Why? Because when, when, you, when you're reading a story, whatever it's uh, Shakespeare or Harry Potter, you imagine, your, 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 your imagine, you, you imagine the, the, the face of the characters. Mm-hmm. You transpose yourself into the, this story as a viewer, as a watcher, as, or as a potential actor. So, I mean, it's a part of our, our DNA as human beings to project ourselves. And, and what's great with Metaverse and VR is the fact that you can go one step further by sending your digital twin into imaginary world. So we don't, these days where everybody's talking about Metaverse, VR, mixing cryptocurrencies and FTs, NFTs and Metaverse, What's specific to Metaverse is actually it's a mode, ex- mode of expression in itself. Uh, the fact that it has nothing to do with, with movies or video games, it's a mode of expression as the cinema has been at the beginning vis-a-vis and regarding theater. And uh, in the middle of, of the pandemic, where our relationship as, uh, as citizens of the world changed, where we were talking to our families or our colleagues, uh, through uh, digital digital devices and, and screens, I think it could be really interesting to explore all this new mode of expression, not by just doing a pre-recorded performance in an existing video game, such as Travis Scott in Fortnite, for instance, but by, I mean, doing really being in a live situation and building my own environment, creating it, and then playing with my avatar into, I mean, in a live situation. And I thought that in days where we were, we were all weakened by the COVID and stuff, it could be interesting to uh, pay tribute to a monument which has been weakened in its flesh, if I can say so, Notre Dame, which is not only a French cathedral, not only a religious one, but a kind of universal symbol of uh, what uh, you, mankind has produced in the most extraordinary way. 
And, uh, and also the fact that still today, you can't go inside uh, Notre Dame because it's still in, 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 uh, in restoration. Mm. So uh, the idea went to, to uh, celebrate the, uh, the New Year's, New Year in uh, 2019-2020, uh, to celebrate and to give a kind of sign of hope by doing this kind of uh, mixed media project where uh, this project has been conceived for VR, of course, but also for streaming platforms, bo both Western and, and Chinese and Asian, for TV, for radio. And, uh, and we've been followed by more than 75 million people, which is, in my opinion, still a kind of a wow. record. And what I, what, why I'm saying this is because it has a social dimension to Metaverse and VR I would like to enhance. The fact that uh, for people who are isolated for social reasons, geographic reasons, or reasons of handicap, people can be connected and we can have ex access as a musician, as a creator, to a new range and new, new possibilities for reaching audiences that could be not able to reach otherwise. Let's talk about your new releases. We're speaking today through the technology that we all learned to adapt to a couple of years ago, obviously, with Zoom. It's November of 2022, and just last month, you released your 22nd studio album, Oxymore. I want to, want to ask you a little bit about the concept for the album, but at the same time, talk about Oxyville, which uh, ties into what you were just talking about, a VR world, which accompanies the album release, providing a digital, digital stage for you to perform the album live in VR. Yes, so Nick, to cut the long story short, Oxymore in itself is a very special project to me because it's the first album entirely conceived and, and composed from scratch into 360 degrees. We decided that for decades, for almost forever, we have a frontal relationship with music. When you compose for a symphonic orchestra, you are, you are visualizing the, the, the orchestra in front of you. When you are in a studio, with, we have speakers in front of you. When you are in a festival, a concert, you still have the PA system in front of you in a kind of flat 2D uh, dimension. Stereo mm. doesn't exist in nature. When, I, when we are talking to each other, you are talking to me in mono. I'm talking to you in mono. And, the, and actually the visual side, the visual field is 140 degrees, but the, the audio field is 360 degrees. When you are in the, in the street, when you are in nature, you are surrounded by sounds. And uh, as a paradox, new technology is able to, to uh, offer musicians to go back to a very natural way to uh, listen to music and to, and to create music. It's like, for the first time, giving the opportunity to the composer and to the audience to be inside the music, like you are inside sound in your day-to-day -day life. And this is a total game changer. It's, of course, changing also the way you compose uh, music by saying to yourself, okay, part of my arrangement, I want something, I want the double bass behind my head and moving to the left, front, right side. It's changing the whole idea of specialization. I've always been interested since Oxygen by relationship between music and space, by when I couldn't do uh, more, try to enlarge and widen the stereo field by using delays and reverb. But now, the beauty of uh, immersive uh, technology is the fact that you can really be inside the music and composing in a totally different, uh, different uh, way. And Nick, you know, a lot of special audio you can hear these days on Apple or music or whatever. I mean, most of, most of them, they are actually stereo production, specialized later on and mixed to, to make it in 360 and immersive sound afterwards. And it's like, for me, like uh, colorizing a black and white movie. 
it's, it's not the same thing at all as composing from the beginning with this idea in mind. And this is what makes Oxymore quite special. And, uh, I'm, and, and also the fact that you don't need to have this kind of installation at home. I mean, the binaural version, which is actually the exact transposition of this real uh, immersive sound you can get with the PA systems, with headphones, with your standard headphones, with your standard laptop or, or smartphone, to give you, and we work a lot with the sound engineer uh, here and my team, to try to create this, this uh, really feel of, uh, feeling of, um, of immersion with the binaural, binaural technique. And of course, what helps a lot is actually the music has been conceived from, again, from the beginning uh, in 360. And the stereo version has been produced from this first composition and not the reverse. When you talk about composing for the format, essentially, I guess, and thinking about that as you're writing, does that make the process longer, the composing and writing process longer? Yes and no. You know, when, when you, every musician knows that when you are in stereo, you have to deal constantly with the fact that if you are adding too many layers, it's become gray, like, like for painting. If you put too many colors, it's, everything's becoming gray. Mm. So you have to deal with... Uh, uh, with this kind of limitation, when you are in uh, in space, which I can say, so you don't have that problem. So I would say that less is more is not maybe the, the only solution because otherwise some sounds can be naked. You you have to create the fusion between different elements, and of course it's allowing you to much greater possibilities, and it's really opening opening doors to new territories. And it's very funny because I felt with Oxymore the same kind of freedom that I had with, uh, when I did Oxygen without any pressure. Because when I did Oxygen, I, we, I didn't have any kind of references about what I had in mind. The same with Oxymore, I had no references. So I could explore all of this as a, as a, I don't know, as a beginner, you know, as, a, as, a, as an explorer. And I know that it's not going to happen again because the next, next time I will have Oxymore as a reference. So Oxymore for me is a very special project for for these reasons. So let me ask you this. I have a, a VR setup. And for anybody who's listening, if they want to find Oxyville, how, how do we do that? How do we find Oxyville in the, uh, the metaverse? Okay. I wanted to have Oxymore as a, for the live performances. I did some showcases in, in Paris at the release of the album last week for the release of the album. And uh, I uh, intentionally said, okay, there is nothing to watch. Close your eyes, guys, and go, go, go back to what music is all about. Music is all about sounds. For me, music has always been the soundtrack of the movie or the story you can create in your own mind. And then all the visual side could be, could be enjoyed in VR. And then I, I created this uh, Oxyville environment, which is a music city, I would say, between the Metropolis and Sin City, black and white, in a kind of constructivist style, where you have 11 districts, because Oxymor has 11 tracks. Uh, so every track you are teleported automatically in the new district. So this has been devised and uh, Nick for live live use. So actually the idea at the moment is going to be the case in the in the future. The the idea is you can only have access to Oxyville in a live situation in the real world. So when I did this uh, first concert, you can, you could have access. And now we are preparing uh, the fact that everybody could could revisit the live performance, which is quite great because actually, you know, let's imagine that when you, when you do a live performance, you can film it and you can watch it on TV or on the internet. 
which which is great with the live performance on on uh, the metaverse on VR in VR is actually you can go. It's it's like if you could go back to the concert happened last week, but with the real with an audience. What what happened in real time, and and that's also, of course something totally different. So we are working on this to give access to the audience to whatever a, a concert I've done. You can revisit the live performance virtual. That's going to be for 2023. It's great to see you, Jean-Michel. Very, very nice to speak with you again. These are the questions I ask all of my guests, so let's go. What is your first musical memory? My first musical memory is, is probably uh, uh, the Rite of Spring from Stravinsky that my parents were playing, my grandparents were playing in 78 because my, grandpa, my, my grandfather had this kind of old thing and I was absolutely scared about this. And that was my, my first relationship with, uh, with music. How old were you? Why was it scary? I don't know. I was four, four years old or something. Of course, the right of spring is rather dramatic. No shit. Actually, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's linked to that. But then, since right of spring is probably my favorite classical piece. What was the first music that you bought with your own money? That was a, a single from Ray Charles. A side was what I say. Beside was the Georgia in my mind. I read about this when I was doing a little research for this conversation, and you said something about hearing Ray Charles for the first time and how it just completely changed the way you thought about music. Yeah, the idea that uh, lots of uh, different uh, oxymoron, I could say, uh, that I understood even later on. The fact that mixing uh, spiritual music with uh, street feelings, in a sense. Uh, or with R&B, spiritual music and R&B. I'm not, I'm not talking about gospel, but just the, the spiritual with some quite trash lyrics also sometimes. So that, that was the, and, and also the fact that I understood why I was so caught by, by his voice, because I always thought that the biggest, the most interesting singers are, are people who are not singing in tune and slightly offbeat. You take Edith Piaf, you take David Bowie, you take Ray Charles, they all give you such uh, goose pimples creating that because they they are just out of, slightly out of tune and and slightly upbeat and that creates the the feeling. I mean, people who are just perfect are boring, you know. And just, and playing with this, Chet Baker told me that when when I I had fantastic opportunity to meet with him and he he, he, he was in the jazz club. He sat sat me on, on an upright piano and play for for a few seconds for for my birthday. And oh my gosh. And he said two things very important to me. The first one was he told me, you know, what is very important is uh, the melody in, in, in music. But the, even more important is to escape from the melody. And, and what is important is more, more important than anything is the sound, the quest for the ultimate sound. And this is always I thought that jazz and electronic music, they have something in common, this quest for the ultimate sound. What was the first concert that you went to without adult supervision it was a, a very uh, unusual thing it was the when i was seven years old my mom very curious person brought me to a, a the the biggest star from uh, the arabic world called um Kalsum. and um Kalsum was the uh, maria Callas of my uh, of uh, africa my mom is not linked to this civilization at all she's born in leo like me but it was very interesting because this woman was as an, had an extraordinary voice. They, they made research that uh, between Maya Callas and uh, Um Galsum, Galsum was the, her voice was, they called that she was the voice of the century. 
in terms of range and, and spectrum. And uh, I was so impressed because the concept, I mean, lasted maybe three hours and she, she, she sang three songs. Each song was almost like a saga, like a long piece of music. Mm. I was so impressed that I, w- I remember that I went out from the, from the concert hall and I said to my mom, I want to marry this woman. <laughs> <laughs> you were seven years old. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you this. What, what do you listen to when you want to dance? I would say uh, maybe uh, Chemical Brothers. It could be Eminem. Uh, it could be also uh, um, early disco music because I think there is... Uh, what I love in disco is the, this kind of uh, mixture between being happy and dark. There is a dark side of disco. Maybe coming from uh, drugs, I don't know, but maybe it's the mid seventies. Yeah, the same time, it's quite uh, happy. He's kind of. I always, I always love that. What do you listen to when you're feeling sad? Two options. One, I want to stay sad, or, or I want to go somewhere else. Get out of it. Yeah. If, if I want to to stop being sad, I would probably pick uh, Discovery from Elo, Yellow. Mm. I mean, Electric Light Orchestra Discovery is one of the very rare albums conveying the kind of sense of happiness. It's very difficult to create happy music without being cheesy. Everybody can, can do dark music, but being, being happy without being cheesy, very rare. Uh, discovery is part of it. And uh, when I, I'm, I'm sad, of course, I would maybe pick up today because tomorrow it could be a different answer. I would, would take the Social Network soundtrack by Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, and maybe... Uh, um, Night Symphony from Beethoven, maybe? If you could only have one song that you could listen to for the rest of your life, I know that sounds terrible, but if you, if you were told there's only one song that you can listen to, what would it be? Good Vibrations from the Beach Boys. I love that. Do you have a, a favorite music video? And by the way, I was just watching your, uh, your new video for, for Brutalism last night, which is fantastic. Um, either one of your own videos or an, another video that you've seen through the years that has inspired you. Sledgehammer from uh, Peter Gabriel. Ah, oh, fantastic. Yeah. Do you have a recent musical discovery? Uh, it doesn't have to necessarily be a new band, but just something that's new to you that you'd like to share with our listeners. Death Pact. Death Pact is a, is a very interesting Californian band. They could be the grandchildren of Skrillex. And uh, they are a very mysterious band. Uh, I had the, the great opportunity to work with them uh, recently. I discovered them in LA four or five years ago. They are very, very underground. They are with masks, real, real helmets. They could be uh, m- much more mysterious than that punk used to be in the past. Uh, and their music is fantastic. The production is, is great. And uh, I really... Uh, and praise our listeners to, uh, to have a listen to them. It's, they are, it's a brilliant band. Yeah, I'm looking forward to digging into that myself. Thank you. Is there a band or an artist that you love, but you feel perhaps they never quite got the big break that they deserved? Archive. Do you have uh, an artist or a band that you would describe as a guilty pleasure? No, there is okay. no guilt in terms of uh, musical choice. I hate, I hate this idea. There is no, no, the sense of guilt. I mean, it's, 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 it's uh, you know, it's, it doesn't mean anything. I know that uh, there is this kind of uh, stupid, silly uh, attitude of people. Oh, I'm, I'm ashamed of loving this. If you love, if you love something, <laughs> there is always a reason. 
And as we wrap things up, we always end on this question. Uh, first of all, thank you for taking some time to, to speak to me. I wish we had more time. I hope I get to see you soon, maybe if you're coming to uh, Los Angeles anytime. Of course. Um, how are you feeling right now? Uh, feeling relieved to be almost at the end of this uh, session of interviews, apart from you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's always, it was always a great pleasure talking to you. And I, I'm, uh, I, you know, I miss you all in LA because I've been, we've been trapped in, uh, in the other, on the other side of the pond with this bloody COVID. And I think that, uh, uh, is, is going to, uh, uh, I'm going to, I was supposed to be in, in LA right now, actually, more or less. And uh, I was too busy with the release uh, of Oxymor in, uh, in Europe and, and trapped into uh, other projects. But I think that uh, early 2023, we're, I'll be back. <laughs> well, let me know next time you're around. Um, it's a great pleasure always to see and speak with you, Jean-Michel Jarre. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nick. See you soon. The Sound of Success is hosted and produced by myself, Nick Harcourt, for Spark Network. Our theme music is by Keita Klein. For more episodes, find us on Spotify, Apple, sparknetwork.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.